We are going to continue our preaching series on the names of God. Hasn't it been great? Because God is good. When you preach about God, it just does something in your heart. Uh, we've, we've talked about um, Jehovah Sitkanu, Jehovah Mkadesh, which are like the most tongue-twisty names, which is God our righteousness, God our sanctification. Um, last week, Mike talked about Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We talked about El Roy, the God who sees. And today we're going to be talking about El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the powerful, strong, sufficient one. So Lord, I just pray that as we share about the word today, that you would come and, Lord God, you would set our hearts alight. Set our hearts alight with a passion for you, Lord. Father God, I, I want to ask that there would be no such thing as mediocre Christianity in any of our lives, Lord God. We want to be seers of who you are. We want to understand your kingdom. We want to be filled with who you are. We want the fullness of what was won on the cross for us. Lord God, I just echo that refrain that we sang during worship. We want to stand in your glory. We want to bathe in your goodness. We want to be carriers of your grace and glory to this world, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. So El Shaddai, the name of God, El Shaddai, is translated God Almighty, and it's first introduced in a portion of Scripture in Genesis 17 where Abraham has an encounter with God, and God comes and reiterates his covenant with Abraham. And we're going to read that. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 17. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to go to verse 7, and then we're going to just jump around a little bit. So just follow me as I read. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Moving on to verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 15. As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Such a powerful portion of scripture. In the sense that Abraham has this encounter with God and it leaves him so changed that God says, I can no longer call you by the same name because you are no longer that person. So this encounter with El Shaddai has this transforming effect on him and his wife that enables them to fulfill their part of the covenant, which is to believe God and to become the father of nations, to become the initiator of God's glory and blessing in not only in Israel, but in all the nations of the world. El Shaddai, as I said, literally means or is translated God Almighty. But what is very interesting is that El Shaddai does not, um, the literal meaning of El Shaddai is not Almighty. 
The word Shaddai comes from the Hebrew word shad, which literally means breast. And it means the one who nourishes, who sustains, who keeps alive, the one who um, is all-sufficient, the one from whom every need is met. And the Bible translates it almighty because it doesn't really have a, a literal meaning. It has this incredible picture of a God who is able to sustain his people no matter what. It means God Almighty, all-sufficient one, place of nourishment, sustenance, and sufficiency. This is the first time this portion of Scripture where El Shaddai is used. And it's almost like God comes to Abraham and he says, we, we are in covenant, but in order for you to fulfill that covenant, you are going to have to know something about me. In order to be the kind of person that will be able to sustain this covenant, you are going to have to have a revelation of a God who is so powerful, who is so mighty, so sufficient, that if you have me, you have everything. You are going to have to be the kind of person that understands that no matter what comes your way, if you just are found in El Shaddai, everything's going to be okay. That you can face every circumstance confident, confident that what you need will be there by virtue of my presence, of God, the great El Shaddai with you. What I find interesting about this this concept of El Shaddai is that all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that was the name they actually called God. So that was their name for God. It was only later in Exodus that the name Yahweh was introduced to the people. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the initiators of God's kingdom on earth to some extent, were the ones that grasped this concept that God is the one who takes care of everything. If I, if I can just be in him, if I can just remain in the one who has everything, then no matter what comes my way, drought, warfare, plagues, bankruptcy, children that don't serve God, whatever comes my way, I have what it takes to be successful in that circumstance. I have what it takes to remain true to my God in that circumstance. I have what it takes to see his goodness and his grace and his glory coming in that circumstance. Yes. Amen. This word or this phrase, El Shaddai, was birthed in covenant. So this, this was God reiterating his covenant with Abraham. This covenant, you know, we sometimes don't understand covenant because it's treated so lightly in, in our world today. You know, people make a covenant with each other, get married, and then three months later decide, I don't like the way he squeezes the toothpaste tube. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> Forget that covenant. I'm moving right on. But you know, covenant to God was a, I'm in this thing until death parts us. And because I'm God and I can't die, I'm in this thing forever. <laughs> I'm, I, I leave myself no way out. I want you to understand that when God went into this covenant with Abraham, at that moment, he was committing to die as Jesus Christ. He was saying, I am committed to this covenant. I will do whatever it takes to bring this covenant to pass. This covenant was the same covenant that caused Moses or gave Moses the courage and the, the ability to lead Israel 
out of captivity, where he could walk through dry land and um, walk through a sea on dry land with walls of water on either side and saying, I'm in covenant with El Shaddai, therefore I step into this sea and it will part because he's the all-sufficient one. He will be faithful to his covenant. He will bring it to pass. The same covenant, the same revelation of a, an El Shaddai, a God who's, who's able, who's more than enough, is what enabled Joshua to stand on the, the edge of the promised land and to look across there and say to Israel, we can do this. To walk around Jericho, see the walls form and fall and defeat nation after nation. Why? Because the revelation of a God who is more than enough was with them. And the understanding that, that God will fulfill his covenant. This concept of being the, the all-sufficient one, the one in whom everything exists, is what allowed or was what motivated God to send Jesus. Every, every solution a way for every person to come into the kingdom, to taste of the glory of who he is. And this covenant is what holds you and me in, um, in blessing and in life on a daily basis because we serve a God who has committed, he's committed himself to being your sufficiency. He said, I'm, I'm not only in covenant with you, but I am in covenant with you to bring a power about my kingdom in you and through you. Yes. The great and glorious God who's in covenant with us, the El Shaddai who, who can never be defeated, the one in whom everything exists, the one in whom all solutions are found. God said to Abraham, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. So one of the profound things about this covenant is that God's purpose in this covenant wasn't just with Abraham. In, in Abraham, God saw the nations. He saw Israel, but he saw Jesus, and he saw from Jesus all the adopted sons and daughters that would come through him. So in that moment when he was making that covenant with Abraham, he was making that covenant with you. And the purpose of this covenant wasn't just to bless Abraham. Of course it blessed Abraham. And of course, um, out of this covenant, he became wealthy and successful in his age. But the purpose of this covenant was that every man, woman, and child across the earth would have opportunity to know the same El Shaddai, would have opportunity to be in relationship with the same El Shaddai. Interestingly enough, when he talks again about this covenant, when God talks with Abraham again about this covenant, later in Genesis 22, he says this, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. In other words, he's saying, guys, whether you are faithful or not, I am going to be faithful. I will be the guarantee for this covenant. 
I will say that no matter what, I am going to bring this to pass. And what this speaks to me is of a kingdom that is relentless and powerful and, and gloriously good, that no matter what we choose to do, God's kingdom is going to advance and God's kingdom is going to take over the world. God's goodness is going to roll into the nations. It's going to roll into governments. It's going to roll into the social atmospheres. It's going to come. The only question is, will you be a part of it? The only question is, will you stand in the, in the flow of his glory? Will you stand in his glory? Will you bathe in his goodness? And will you, will you allow yourself to be an avenue through which that kingdom comes? Yeah. Psalm 91 verse 1, another place where this word El Shaddai is used, and it's so telling for me. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, the El Shaddai. Because you see, here's, here's the truth, is that if, if God is this great El Shaddai, and we're in covenant with him, then what do we have to worry about? Guys, if, if God is determined to be successful here on earth, bringing people into his kingdom. If God is successful, I mean, God is determined to bring the, the revelation of his goodness, his truth, his ways, his, his, um, his methods of living on earth and bringing goodness and life. If he's determined to do this, if he is determined to do this, and he is the El Shaddai, we know it's going to come to pass. And if we are in that, we, are no, we know that there is no possibility for us to be left out in the cold. And therefore, we, what we can do is we can, we can lay down that defensive armor. We can let go of the anxieties and fears and we can say, guys, I'm in El Shaddai. I'm found in him. I'm found in this good, powerful, all-sufficient, glorious God who will not be thwarted. Now, I'm going to let you into a secret. Are you okay with that? You know your friends when you start telling your secrets. So I don't know if you remember when we moved to this hall Lots of you don't know because you weren't here because you joined the church since we've moved to this hall. But before we, we met in another hall um, in Ramsar that wasn't nearly as nice as this. And we, we liked that hall. And, but the owners came to us one day and said, sorry, we've sold the place and you need to be out by the end of the month or the, the month coming. And we were like dumbstruck. We've searched everywhere for halls. There just was not, I don't know if you know it, but there are, this is the only hall of its size in the whole of Ramsar. But we didn't find this one. We found nothing. <laughs> and I remember standing up in front of the church and telling how God was going to bless us and we were moving to a new place and God was going to give us something fantastic and we had nothing. And I remember week after week standing up and telling the church about how, how God was going to bless us and then going home and lying on my bed and saying, oh God, have mercy, oh God, have mercy. I wonder if I can fit everyone in my lounge. <laughs> and you know, a week before we had to move, miracul miraculously God opened up this venue. 
And for me, it spoke about an El Shaddai. It's like, I, maybe this venue didn't exist before we needed it. I don't know. <laughs> no, it did. But the bottom line is that, that God, God will do what he says he will do. God will be who he says he is. God will be faithful. And the truth is that he is sufficient, that he does have what you need, that he is able to take care of you. And so as a result, we can let go of the anxiety and fear, and we can say, God, you are truly able to do this. You are truly able to do this. Amen. So another place where the word El Shaddai is used, or the phrase, should I say, El Shaddai is used, is when a young shepherd boy by the name of David came into the Israelite camp and he saw this giant named Goliath taunting the Israelite armies and saying that how he was going to defeat them and mocking God. And he said to his strong brothers and the armies that were there, why are we allowing this to happen? And he declared that he would go before this great giant. And you will remember the story. You can read it in 1 Samuel 17 if you would like. But you'll remember the story that the king of Israel offered David his armor and said, if you're going to go and do this foolish thing to go before this giant, this, this huge man that could rip your head off your body without even thinking about it, if you are going to do this, then at least wear my armor. And David put that armor on. And it was too big for him. He couldn't move. You know, it was like wearing your older brother's clothes. And he, just, he just couldn't do it. So he said, no, no, no. I will go before, with what I, go before Goliath with what I know. And so you remember the story is that David went before Goliath with his slingshot. And five smooth stones, it says, in his pocket. I don't know if you've ever thought of killing someone with a stone. I don't know if you've ever thought of it. But seriously, I, I don't think it's possible to kill an ordinary-sized human being by throwing a stone at their forehand. A, sp a stone. I mean, a rock, yes. But a stone, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I feel like they'd have a very bad headache. They may have some brain damage. They will be very angry with you. But I doubt that they will die. Really, I do. The Bible talks about how David, with his first stone, slung that stone at him. He slung a real word. This is the past tense of sling. He slinged, slanged, slung. He threw that stone at Goliath. It hit Goliath in the forehead. Now, here's the thing. It says it sunk into his forehead. Guys, how fast does a stone have to be going to sink into bone? No, it's, it's got to be going very, very faster than any slingshot is going to get it. I want to promise you that. And here's the wild thing, is that it says that when the stone hit Goliath in the forehead, he fell forward. Okay, let's think about this. Can we, I have a physical, well, a science background. If a stone comes flying at you in this direction, what is your natural response? You're going to throw your head backwards. If you understand anything about momentum, if something is coming you in that direction, it will transfer its momentum to you and you will go in the same direction. 
Goliath should not have fallen forward. He should have fallen backwards. Okay, so you think, what is this all about? I want to tell you that there was more than David throwing his stone. El Shaddai was standing there, the God Almighty. And when David gave it his best shot, God looked and said, oh my word, that's not going to work. So he... Listen, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is the picture I have in mind. Is What if El Shaddai put his hand behind that stone? And then he put his hand behind Goliath's head. And he met them very hard. <laughs> because you know what? Our best effort is just not good enough. But that's not the point. The point is it's not just our best effort. The point is that we are in El Shaddai. We are in a God who is all sufficient. We are in a God who is able. We are in a God who will not be defeated. And here's the truth. As long as we are about his business, that's the crux. As long as we are about his business, it is impossible for us to fail. Because God will put his hand behind your stone and he will put his hand behind your giant's head and he will cause them to meet very hard. When God introduced himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, he says this, walk before me and be blameless. Do you just shudder at that thought? Because how many of you feel blameless? I know Andrew's blameless, but the rest of us. <laughs> but blameless literally means this perfect, whole, complete, wholehearted, courageously doing the right thing with your whole heart. And I want to propose to you that's what David did. It's not that David didn't make mistakes. It was that David courageously did everything he could do to further God's purposes. And in so doing, him and El Shaddai were this undefeated partnership. I want to propose to you that that's what Abraham did. He made mistakes. We've heard about some of his mistakes, you know, sleeping with his wife's servant girl. You know, just, uh, he did other things, you know, that I just don't want to bore you with the details. But, but. But, you know, he, it's possible to say that he was blameless. But what it is possible to say is that he was courageously, wholeheartedly committed to God's plan. And he aligned himself absolutely, completely with that. And he said, I'm all in. He wasn't one foot in the Philistine camp and one foot in his camp. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't like one foot in the Egyptian camp and one foot in his camp. He was absolutely committed to God's purposes on earth. Yeah. 1 Samuel 17 verse 45, talking of David when he stood before Goliath, it says there, David said to the Philistine, Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And you know, when you face your giants, because we all have them, you can be confident that anything that stands up to defy the purposes of God on earth, that you can stand up in the name of the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, 
and you can say nothing will thwart the purposes of God. I may not have the right armor. I may not be um, perfectly accurate at my slingshot. My stones might not be perfectly round. I may not know how to throw them exactly right. But oh my word, I'm going to give my whole heart to this and I'm going to step forward and I'm going to be counted as the son of the most high God. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to act the truth. I'm going to stand for what's right. And in so doing, I am confident of this, that there is a great, almighty, all-sufficient God, El Shaddai, who will stand there and he and I will win. Amen. So what are some of the giants we face in society? I want to propose to you that you are God's emissary, ambassador, to defeat these on earth today. I want to propose to you that the reason you were born in this age is because that there are certain giants that you are perfectly suited in El Shaddai to defeat. How about poverty? I mean, we look at those children. Isn't that the first step of doing something? How about family breakdown? Every time you determine to go back to your spouse out after a fight and say, I'm sorry, what are you doing? You are slinging a stone into the head of the giant of family breakdown. Every time you are determined to help your, your friends whose marriage is waning and say, come to church, come to our marriage course, what are you doing? You are standing up for righteousness and truth, and you are standing before that giant, and you are saying, how dare you defy the armies of the Most High God? How about racism? One of the giants of our age, certainly of our nation. And one of the reasons we are so committed to a multicultural church is that we refuse point blank to let that giant win. Because we are absolutely determined to be covenant people. We are absolutely determined to further the purposes of God on this earth. We are absolutely determined to stand up for righteousness, truth. And we understand that the covenant God entered into with Abraham was for the nations was for every kind of person. How about corruption? It seems undefeatable right now. But church, I remember years back when communism was, seemed absolutely undefeatable. Do you remember those times? We went to church and I mean, we went to school, we learned about the Roy Hafar. Do you remember that? You don't remember that. It was before your time. Well, don't worry. We got rid of that Roy Khafar, so you're very safe. But you know, it was this all looming, terrible thing that was going to take over and destroy everything and had uh, this terrifying thing. And one day, the Berlin Wall fell and it was all over. I mean, it was just like one day it was there and terrible, and the next day, the giant had fallen. I want to let you into a secret, another one. It's kind, of, it's kind of a public secret. It's not my secret. But before the Berlin Wall fall, fell, East German Christians held a prayer vigil. Hun, literally hundreds, and hundreds of thousands of East Berliners, Christians, came out into the streets at night with a candle. And they... The, the army, the East Berlin army was on uh, 
standby, ready. They thought it was going to be a riot. They thought it was going to be terrible violence. But these people simply walked to the churches and the meeting halls, knelt down and said, God, save us. God, redeem us. We stand and believe that you are the all-sufficient one, that you are El Shaddai. And we are not going to take um, ungodly action by killing people or um, wrecking property. We are going to believe that you are the God who can do this. And within one week, the Berlin Wall was being dismantled and East and West Germany were being reunited and communism had basically lost its hold over Europe. Why? Because they decided that this giant was defying the armies of the Most High God and they were not going to stand for it and they were going to come out and they were going to be counted as members of the covenant and they were going to say, we are standing in the name of El Shaddai. And they threw their best shot stone, which was a candle and a prayer. And God put his hand behind it and he put his hand behind that communist giant and look who won. Amen. I think that deserves a hand because God did that. How about this one? How about self-preservation? What's that? That's, I am going to look after myself, even if it means it's at your expense. So I'll charge you more. I'll cheat you. I'll find a way to make what's yours mine. I'll steal surreptitiously. I'll steal even legally. I'll, I'll make a way for what's yours to become mine. But you see, if God is the all-sufficient God, then that can never be true because you can have as much as you need and I, there'll still be enough left for me. I don't have to take from you to make myself okay. So we can stand and we can be generous. We can give to children in need. We can give, give to any kind of um, thing around us where we see need. And we can be assured that there is an all-sufficient God who will take care of us. We can confidently live out our God-given desire to be givers, to, be give, to become those who look after and care for those around us. And last of all, Abraham became a new person. That this encounter with El Shaddai didn't leave him the same, it left him changed. Changed to the point where he could no longer carry the same name. The Bible talks about how Abraham, which means exalted father, I don't know about you, but that's quite a nice name. I, I wouldn't mind being called Exalted Father. Yo, no, no, I'd have to be called Exalted Mother. The front row is correcting me. <laughs> Thank you for your health there. So, so just imagine, I mean, you know, it's, it's not a bad name for, for old Abraham to be called Exalted Father. And yet, for God, that was not good enough. I want to propose to you that your best efforts are not a good, good enough. I, I want to propose to you that your highest dreams are smaller than what God has for you. I want to propose to you that, that the, the thing you most are aspiring to is less than what God is aspiring to for you. 
I want to propose to you that God has a plan to radically revolutionize your view of him and yourself so that you will not just be exalted in your own sphere, but that you will become a father of nations. In other words, you will become a worldwide phenomenon. You will become something that influences not only your own benefit, but becomes a, a source of benefit for thousands. That, that who you are becomes an influence to a large amount of people. I want to propose to you that it's not possible for any human being to think big enough. And part of our encounter with El Shaddai is God enlarging our ability to see. God enlarging our ability to understand. God enlarging our ability to dream. God enlarging our ability to take risks. God enlarging our ability to, to appropriate his goodness in environments, not just for us but for thousands around us. And we don't start with thousands, we start with one. Abraham had one son, and he was faithful with one son. And that one son became many, and so it, so it expanded. Romans 6 verse 4 says this, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live anew life. I want to propose this to you, that the day you accepted Jesus and you made a commitment to publicly demonstrate that through baptism, that at that moment you died and you were resurrected in newness of life. And maybe you didn't physically get a new name, but I promise you this, you got a new nature. And whereas before, maybe you were just exalted Karen, exalted Susie, exalted John. Now you are father, mother of nations. You are one who carries a dream that is so large. You are one who carries the seeds of greatness. You're the one who influences your environment, your family, your society, your nation. Thank you, Lord. El Shaddai, in covenant with El Shaddai, we walk blamelessly with him, defeating giants and being made new so that nations come to know him. So, Father, I want to pray that your blessing and the revelation of who you are would come to us, Lord. Father God, I even feel uncomfortable just limiting you to this one name, Lord God, it's so glorious and all-encompassing and fantastic, Lord God, but you are this and more. If this blows our mind, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And Father God, I want to ask that, that the revelation of who you are would come to us. And Lord God, not just come to us, but come to us in a covenant relationship, a relationship where we have forsaken all to be with you. And Father God, in that place, I'm asking for this kind of effect. Lord God, that, that your presence in us would be changing us, would be igniting God dreams, God understanding, God vision in us, Lord God. Father God, let us be the people 
that you can count on to do all that you've called us to do. Let nothing be left undone. Lord God, no matter how small or how large, Lord God, let us love our children well. Let us love our spouses well. Let us love our friends well. Let us be an example to our work colleagues, to people around us of your goodness, your grace, your majesty, your truth, Lord God. Let us be unflinchingly true to your commandments to make disciples of all nations, Lord God. Let us be unflinchingly true to the revelation that you want every man, woman, and child to know you. Father God, I ask that through us your kingdom would indeed come. Lord God, through us I ask that over this entire earth, the renown of Jesus Christ would rise as an anthem to you, Lord. And Father God, let us be a part of that, Lord God. We, we understand that you are going to be victorious no matter what. And we want to ask that we would be part of that victory. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you, Father. As we remain in that attitude of prayer, I want to just ask if there's anyone here. And as I've been speaking, you've, you realize that perhaps you've been trying your best to be a good person, but you know that deep down in your heart, you haven't surrendered to Jesus. You haven't said, God, I don't want to be, it to be about me. I want it to be about you. I want you as, as Lord of my life. I want you as supreme in my life. And if you would like to do that, if you'd like to make that surrender, if you would like to acknowledge him, with every head bowed, I would love you to just raise your hand if that's you. Anybody who would like to do that. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I just pray for everyone here. Lord God, just for more and more blessing, more and more understanding, just your grace and favor in everything we do. And Lord God, bind us together, Lord God. Lord God, make us a community of people that who support, understand, encourage one another. Father God, I ask that we not only have a vision for ourselves, but we have a vision for our neighbors. And we would stand with them in that, that every one of us would be who you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?